0: So if you would, stand as we read the word of God. We honor God by standing when we read his word. And we'll read chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled." Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is... The Word of God. God. Oh, you guys get an A this week. Please be seated. Yes. Yes. That was your strongest response. That was good. Hey, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time to study the Word of the Living God. Holy Spirit, please speak to us today. Things that you want us to get out of this lesson. Lord, this is the greatest sermon that I think has ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount, chapters five, six, and seven. And we're going to learn. to live as christ followers in a really difficult world thank you for this time together in jesus name amen so as you know the theme of matthew is jesus is the promised king now where we have been jesus is in the process of choosing his 12 and he's chosen there's been four out of the gate three are going to be the inner circle so peter andrew james and john are the initial ones, and they were both fishermen, and Jesus goes by the Sea of Galilee, and he calls each one of them. If you remember when he called uh, James and John, they were in the boat with their dad fixing the nets. Jesus Jesus comes by, and immediately they followed, leaving dad in the boat with all the nets to men by himself as the boys go off to follow Jesus. Now, I thought that was cool. I imagine the boys had lots of talks with the dad about Jesus, and he, he was, I bet he was ecstatic to see his son go. Their sons go and follow the the master. But the three inner circle were Peter, James, and John. And they had special missions, I think, out of the 12. Special missions. James would be the first martyr. John wrote the book of Revelation, the book of John, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He would be exiled to the Isle of Patmos to do that wonderful work in the book of Revelation. Then Peter wrote 1st and 2nd Peter, and some believe that Mark was simply transcribing what Peter was saying. But I want you to also realize this, that Peter had something special. He had a commission. He had the keys of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 16, which we'll go through in depth when we get there a year from now. So we will get there at some point. But he had the keys to the kingdom to open up salvation to all people groups. In Acts chapter 2, Peter was at Pentecost when the Jews received the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom of God was opened up to the Jews. And then at Samaria in Acts chapter 8, Peter was there. And then then at Cornelius' house, probably 10 years later or so, Jesus was there, Cornelius' house, and the Gentiles received the word of God and and spoke in tongues and were baptized in the spirit and that whole thing. Uh, So he had the keys of the kingdom. They They had special calling. Notice also that these people followed immediately and their lives were drastically changed. They went from fishermen to fishers of men. That's what you take you out of the sea and put you into the world and be fishers of men. So their lives changed. And the thing that I wanted to point out, and I emphasized last time in our review, is that Jesus changes lives there's no one called into this thing called christianity that jesus is not changing we're all in a process of change so get on board get into the process get in the process then we talked about discipleship qualities now remember what a disciple is he's a learner he or she is a learner a pupil someone who is following the rabbi or following the master and becoming more and more and more like their teacher more for us would be more like jesus being a disciple then and now, and I emphasize this, will require sacrifice, courage, and I love this word, grit. Grit. Remember what grit is. Bravery, backbone, guts, spunk. That's what we need in our culture today, grit. And then we had the picture of these guys of grit. We had the linemen. And then we had this bull in the blizzard, and we love these guys, But now we have our own Calvary Chapel grit. Here they come. Oh, yes. (laughs) Grit. Grit. That was for you, Don, if you're watching on Facebook. Especially for you. Great picture. Thank you. Now, these people of grit, and you are peoples of, of grit, will not be moved by the trends of the culture. You are unlikely to be indoctrinated. You won't be blown away by the whims of the culture. You will realize as a disciple why you're here. See, people have to discover why they're here. What's my purpose? Why was I even born? Why was I even born? Why am I here? And I can tell you, when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you discover why you were born, to know him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, I want to know Christ. That's a deep, intimate relationship with the master. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. I want to know my Jesus. I want to be close to him. And in doing that, I give up my rights to my life to follow the master. That's what they did. They immediately followed. Disciples can expect something. And that is the fullness of his grace. You know what grace is, unmerited favor, the kindness, the joy, the favor of God. John 1.16 says this, like the waves of the ocean, just washes up grace after grace. We'll get a little picture up here in just a second. And there we go. Okay. Wave after wave, grace, oh, I should have put the batteries in here, sorry. But anyway, wave after wave, grace after grace for the fullness of, For for of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace or blessing upon blessing. If you have an NIV washed over, washed over, washed over our whole lives are constantly. God has graced us, blessed us, blessed us, blessed us us with his presence. And what we've learned about discipleship, it will cost you. It won't be easy. But we also learned something last week that I think every disciple much must know is that any time. When things look impossible, like this healing cannot occur, or this life situation cannot occur, it's impossible in the natural, that God can break in. God can break in. We call those miracles. Remember, not dailies. Not dailies. These are miracles of God. It takes a miracle. Yes, that's where we're at in this culture today. We, we need miracles. Now, we're learning how to live in an evil world as a Christian. Now, this starts out really neat. If you remember last week, the multitudes were following Jesus. He was healing them, casting out demons. People were coming from all over the countryside to see Jesus. He is extremely popular now. So the stage is set in verses 1 and 2. And we read the following. And seeing the multitudes, this plethora of people that are following, he went on the mountain. He withdrew. And he was seated. He seated his disciples and his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them. He taught them. So the setting is there. The multitudes are there. His disciples are are with Jesus on, on the mount. The crowds are flocking to see Jesus. And just imagine this. The excitement must have been palpable. I mean, people go to rock concerts today and they're all hyped up to go. Oh, this is way beyond that. I mean, the excitement is palpable for these people. They want to see what Jesus will do next. And Jesus, I think, surprises them. And he withdraws to a solitary place with the 12. He leaves the masses and he goes up on the mount where he's isolated with with his people. But the conditions are perfect. The Sea of Galilee is here. The mountain is here, and down in the valley, the acoustics are perfect. The people gathered below could hear everything that Jesus was saying. You think this wasn't planned? Jesus is done with the miracles. He's got their attention. Now he's doing what people really need. Have their lives changed. Have their soul, their spirits changed. Come to know the master. Now we have the picture. uh, When you go to Israel, you see this picture, or you go to this place. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. And actually, when we went with Amir, he was telling us these are banana branches. And just think about those banana trees as people down here. And he emphasized over and over that the acoustics are so perfect that you can be up here talking to a small group. And these people down here will hear perfectly. Perfectly. All orchestrated by the master teacher. Wanting people to know what he is, what he is saying. So, he has the attention of the group, he has the attention of the, of, of the multitude, and he's going to teach them kingdom principles. Jesus' sermon is called, we call it the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, and that's Latin for happy, Latin for joyful. It's all about how to live here with a be attitude, with an attitude, be like Jesus' attitude, okay? Be like Jesus' attitude. Beatitudes, all the beatitudes are what we will be when we dwell in Christ, when we are dwelling in Christ. This will not happen with cursory Christians. This won't happen to hanger honors. This only happens to those who are menno, dwelling in Christ, making their home in Christ, are immersed in Christ. Then you will start to see these attitudes start to be exemplified in your, in your life. Now notice this. No Christ ruling in a person's life results in no be attitudes like Jesus, attitude like Jesus. It all starts with God, and the first first four of these are directed to God. Verses 3 through 6, we'll read the following. And again, these are all directed from the human to God. Watch what happens here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, who wants to be poor in spirit or who wants to mourn? You will when you get done with this. Blessed are the meek. That's not something that's honored in this culture, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, how many people do you see in our world today hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Look in our streets look in our cities, look as our nation is changing. That is something that is absolutely, what is going on in the streets is the antithesis of the kingdom of God. And you're going to see the difference here in just a second. So blessed is the word markarios, and it means fully satisfied, joyful. It's the inner condition of the believer Nothing phony here, nothing make-believe, nothing contrived. It's a natural outflowing of dwelling with Jesus. You spend time with Jesus, you will be blessed, Markarios, fully satisfied. And it starts with being poor in spirit. Well, who are the poor in spirit? The helpless, one who needs lifting. One who needs lifting. I like that thought, encouragement. Ever need lifting? Yes, Mr. Gorm, yes. Yes, we need lifting. Yes, we do. Ever feel helpless? Look, we need a Savior. That's what this is pointing to, to be restored. Psalm 3.3 says this, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You are my protector, my glory, and the one who lifts my head, or the one who restores me. Restores me. Those who are poor in spirit are helpless, lost, in need of a Savior, and they come and they meet the Master. And the Master restores them to a right relationship with God. He restores your life. He's the lifter of your soul. He gives you your life, meaning, and purpose. And the promise is this theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're saved. They're born again of the spirit. Second one is those who mourn. Now nobody wants to mourn, but it means this those who mourn over their sin, they're sad. They're grieved, and this sounds a whole lot like repentance to me. Turning to Jesus. they The promise is this. They will be comforted. And that word is parakolito. Remember, the Holy Spirit is your comforter. You draw near to Jesus, you will have the Spirit of God comforting you on this journey through the most arduous of times. It's not so easy to live here. It's not so easy to live here. And remember... The the picture is this. God forgives and God's comforts. And it's the picture of this. God holding you. God holding you. Have you ever been there where you are to this place where you feel like, God, I have no place to turn. I need you to hold me and embrace me. Oh, I have been there. And I felt the arms of God rescue me in my, my most darkest hours. The verse here is, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and through. He is the God of all comfort. Remember, you are in the family of God. You are a son, a daughter of God. You are the bride of Christ. You are special to your Lord, and he will comfort you. Watch this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And watch these words. He is the Father of compassion, and he is the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort is here for you when you're mourning, when you're down. He comforts us in all of our troubles. Remember that word? Thelispus, crushings of life. So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received. Oh, it's a pass it on thing. God comforts me. I experience this. I pass it on to the next person. And then he says, blessed are the, are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Now, look at meekness is not a characteristic that the world extols okay but they don't understand what meekness is strength under control remember this meek is this strong but tender and humble no self agenda teachable and i love this one a controlled spirit now now chris when they had the accident jenny had the accident He could have went right into, what were you doing? But he had a control. Maybe he did that. I don't know. But at least it sounds like he had a controlled spirit. A controlled spirit. Watch the promise. The meek will inherit the earth. You know what that sounds like to me? Kingdom rule. Kingdom rule. Remember, get positions of rulership in the kingdom, depending on how we are obedient to Christ. Kingdom rule. Kingdom rulers. And I think it's going to be a pleasure, an abject pleasure to serve in the kingdom under the Lord Jesus Christ. Meekness, meekness is a characteristic of a true Christ follower. It's an attitude of a true Christ follower. Jesus is our example. You will see in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, these familiar words. But these these two verses describe three verses describe. <laughs> Jesus' personality, his personality. Watch this. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that just a great word? I will give you rest. Peace in your situation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. The word is meek. You Look it up. It's meek and lowly or humble in heart, and you will find rest for your disturbed souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Oh, meekness is something that is great in the eyes of God, not so great in the world. I want to be like Jesus more than I want to be like the world. When I get a touchdown, I want to be like Barry Sanders. You know what he did? Walks into the end zone 12,000 times, puts the ball down, and walks away. It's none of this boom, 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 look at me, ah, that whole thing. Meekness, strength under control. How about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Now, get this. Those who continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is written in the present tense. This is a present participle. This is an active way of life. The hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is not streaky. This is not streaky. Not into righteousness in spurts. I think I'll be righteous today, but tomorrow I got other plans. No, that's not what it is. It's a continuous way of life. I do what God wants me to do. You know what this sounds like to me? A bond servant. Remember what the word is? Doulos. My will consumed with the will of the master. My will consumed with the will of the master. Nothing to do with this world. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. My will consumed with the will of the master. The first four beatitudes are directed towards God. And they will overflow into our lives, impacting our world. Very important. First four to God, the rest of these go out to the world. In verses 7 through 10, these are the attitudes that will be directed to the world. Verse 7 Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of god blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of god blessed attitudes that go into the world remember what mercy is mercy is not getting what i deserved isn't that great i have not, god has mercyed us over and over like those waves he has given us mercy after mercy after mercy we have not gotten what we deserve folks He has not repaid us according to his iniquities. He has mercied us and mercied us and mercied us over and over. That will be a characteristic of you when you draw near to Jesus. A forgiving spirit does not hold people's feet to the fire. Not a payback in kind attitude. Remember Jesus on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There's no payback here. Jesus had pity on those people that were crucifying him. It's the ability to to empathize, empathy with with, with those who are around you. And the promise is this. They shall obtain mercy. Those who give mercy will receive mercy. It's the law of reciprocity. You give mercy, you'll receive mercy. Now, mercy is not simply glad handing. Okay, what do I mean by that? Oftentimes in Christendom, we have the ability to help someone, but we use the Christian cliche, and I think it's important to do this. Don't under, underestimate that. But some oftentimes we'll say, "I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. I want to borrow your shovel. Oh, I'll pray that you can find one someplace. I got ten of them in the garage. Okay, but I don't want to give you my brand new pointed shovel. Go to you know, you get involved. Mercy gets involved. Mercy gets involved. Romans 12, 15 says this, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. We are to celebrate the joyful times and and be compassionate in the down times and the awful times. Mercy gets involved. But I want to give you a caution. I want to give you a caution. Careful. Mercy can also be exploited. What do we mean by this? Well, mercy is not enabling you are not loving someone if you are enabling their behavior mercy is not enabling we see this all the time people with signs you know wanting wanting help they're praying on mostly christians to give them things to help them they're unwilling to help themselves we see those with panhandling so be discerning mercy is not helping those who can help themselves mercy is helping people find a way you know we have something at the mission called the life recovery program and it is a wonderful program that has enormous amazing results much more than than a secular world about 80 percent of the people that go in that program and finish it have changed lives changed lives mercy directs people to the right place not continuing to enable their behavior an attitude of mercy is what we are to have pure in heart Though, now listen to this, those who still blush at sin, who live a clean life. Now, I bet you there's people here who don't know what blushing is. I've never seen anybody blush. I mean, that, that, that is something that is old-fashioned, isn't it? Blushing. Well, that, it, will be, it means be red in the face. It's a feeling of modesty or embarrassment. We don't see that in our culture very often today. But the pure in heart still blush. The pure in heart live a clean life, a life controlled by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. The pure in heart is done by the filling of the Holy Spirit, and the promise is they shall see, but see God. Now, won't that be amazing? The day you get to heaven, and you see the totality of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in our glorified state, in our state of perfection, we will actually be in a state where we are clean and holy and pure and can see the living God. Now, I don't know how that's going to look. Okay, you can make all this stuff up in your mind. But that is going to be an amazing moment. And for eternity, we'll be worshiping and fellowshipping with this amazing, wonderful God. Peacemakers is the next one brings peace into life situations this is a attitude of a christian a lot of us don't have that a lot of us aren't peacemakers we're paybackers no peacemakers bring life and in, peace into life situations and it has to start with the peace of peace with god we must start with the peace with god and then we can live with the peace of god having salvation they shall be called sons of god and an overflow of you being saved of dwelling in Christ is you're going to bring peace into life situations. Not stirrers, not pot stores, but peacemakers. Big difference. Not compromisers by any stretch of the imagination, but we want to bring peace in as much as we can. Now I think you'll realize this. The moment that you were born again, you became a member of a new family. The family of God. And it was the first time In your existence, that you actually came into a functional family. All of us have been raised up in dysfunctional families. I don't know if you know this or not, it's different levels of it for sure, but we are all dysfunctional because we're all depraved, fallen in our natures, dysfunctional. And it's wonderful to be called a child of God. Remember, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. There's none who seeks after God. We know that the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. It is a gift that he has offered to anybody who will receive the gift. God desires to make peace with humans by the offer of the blood of his son. We then experience the peace of God and can extend into the culture around us God's peace in these difficult, tumultuous situations. But again, peace is not compromise. Peace is speaking the truth. And let the chips fall where they may. People aren't always going to like us. See, a lot of people say that bringing peace is compromising and, and agreeing with something that you can't agree with. We can't do that. We can't do that. That's not peace. That's not peace. And then the next one is the... Blessed are the persecuted. Now you know what that is. Ridiculed for Christ, ostracized, banished for Christ. Happened to John on the Isle of Patmos. And even to be martyred for Christ, all the way up to dying for Christ. Now I want to suggest something to you. You've heard this before. I believe the true church is a remnant church. Just a few believers who are really in this thing, it's not the masses. But in the the remnant church are the ones that are going to feel the pressure of the culture. The rest of them are going to blend, are going to compromise in order to get along with the culture. No, we will have to stand for what is the truth, like the bull in the blizzard. Jesus will enable us. That is the thing that you want to know. He's promised us something. And I think this is going to be very important for those who are facing the extremes of persecution. The promise is this theirs is the kingdom of heaven it is not out here when you're a christian in iran you are not thinking about how great and wonderful you have it here when you're a christian in india you're not thinking about how great and wonderful it is here you are looking for another home a home in the heavens believers are forewarned about about something and this is a warning and this is a promise people want to hold on to god's promises well this is a promise also those who live out their faith will be persecuted. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. The the Bible tells me so. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It happens at various levels, from martyrdom, all the way down into your own family might not like it because you're a Christian. You want to follow the precepts of Jesus. Your friends might not like it. Your school might not like it. Your government might not like it. But we have to follow the master. and so Persecution will be part of that. Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you. Now, you know what that word granted to you means? And it, it means this. It's to do you a personal favor. God is doing you a personal favor. He's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, a personal favor on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That's a, those, those are promises. Kingdom people, listen to this, cannot be friends with the world. Kingdom people cannot be friends with the world. Do you believe that? Well, let me say that I hope you do because James 4.4 could not be more clear. Listen what James says to people that may be compromising in his world. Adulterers and adulteresses. Now, was he seeker-friendly? Was he nice and gentle? Was he patting him on the head as we send them to hell? I love that, Jason. We're not patting him on the head as they're heading out to hell. No way. We're telling the truth. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or enemy with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of this world system makes himself an enemy of God. Now most of you are familiar with 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. For everything into the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but those who do the will of God will live forever. Do not love the world. That is a command, that is an imperative in the Greek. Do not love this world system. Do not get caught up in the glitz and the glamour of the lights and the brights and all that stuff of this world system. Have an attitude as of Christ's follower that you're going to stand no matter what and you will end up being persecuted more on persecution he expands on this in verses 11 and 12 and he says rejoice when you're persecuted and i just give it a great big what what you want me to rejoice well let's hold on verse 11 and 12 blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my namesake. You know what revile is? The pile up abusive language. You Christians. You're the problem, Christians. You hear it more and more in our culture today as we're, as we're descending, declining in America. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. This is Jesus speaking. And for, for, they, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you you're not the lone ranger folks experiencing persecution is something that has happened from the beginning of the church on now i want you to think about persecution think about this do you want to be persecuted i can just no i can't i can't do it fast enough now zach was in the back row today and he's going really fast like this and i'm going man i get a dizzy spell like you can't believe but i try to do this no i don't want to be persecuted no no way let me, let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus enjoyed being persecuted? Do you think he enjoyed being rejected by his family? I don't think so. Do you think on Palm Sunday when Jesus entered Jerusalem and accept his, his kingship and he weeps over Jerusalem because he knows they're going to turn on him in a few days and crucify him? And he makes this statement. He makes this statement. <laughs> this statement. He drew near the city and he wept over it. And he makes these words, he says these words, for the days will come upon you when enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. Jesus sees what's going to happen in 70 AD when Titus and his Roman legions come into Jerusalem and kill a million Jews in Jerusalem. A million And level you and your children within you to the ground. And Jesus is weeping as he's saying this. He's he's grieving this. And they will not leave on you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know when the Messiah was coming. You did not recognize me as the Messiah. And he's weeping over this. And this isn't just a little, this is a pouring out of tears. This is a guttural response by Jesus. Do you think Jesus enjoyed Gethsemane? When he's looking forward to the cross, and he says in Gethsemane, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, if there's any other way, Father, let this cup pass from me. Oh, but not my will, but your will be done. No, Jesus wasn't looking forward to persecution. How about when he's dying on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me as all of my sins, your sins, all of the world's sins from the history of the beginning to the end of time were poured out on Jesus and he feels the separation from his father for the first time in eternity. You think Jesus was looking forward to that? He knew this in Gethsemane. He knew this and he says, Is there any other way, Father? Let this cup No, he wasn't looking forward to persecution. So how can we rejoice in our persecutions? Notice he says, great is your reward in heaven. The secret to suffering, to enduring suffering is this. It's not in the moment, but it's in what it produces. It's what it produces. No one wants to suffer. Suffering benefits are what is produced when we suffer. We have to know that. We must get a grip on that. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, say the following. Not only, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces, in my version, it's perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character produces, produces character, and character, hope, produces hope. Look, at there's a purpose for this. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There is a benefit to suffering. It's a benefit to us here, and it's a benefit to those who are around us that we can help and comfort in their time of discomfort. There is a benefit to it. Jesus said. Jesus said. Whoever wrote, wrote Hebrews, speaking about Jesus, said Hebrews twelve two, looking on the Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, this is endured the cross, despising its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This was was the joy set before him. Why could he say it's the joy set before him? Because of what it produced. What it produced. Redemption for humanity. Redemption for all those people who would accept the gift of salvation. Redemption is simply this. Jesus paid the purchased price. His life for my life. His shed blood cleanses me from all of my sin. Jesus paid the price and it was a joy for him to do that after the fact. Because of what it produced. No believer is ever encouraged to pursue persecution. It will come naturally. Joseph was told to flee Egypt from Herod's persecution and killing all those kids to and under. The church was scattered from persecution in Acts chapter 8 to avoid persecution. And the believers are to flee the Antichrist persecution in the tribulation period in Matthew 24, 16 through 20, which I won't read to you completely, but I'll give you the short version. When they see the abomination of desolation set up in the temple, that is their cue to exit stage left. Those believing Jews who aren't putting their faith in the Antichrist will flee to Petra for their rescue. He says, flee, don't delay. Don't, don't go back to the house. Don't pick up your stuff. Don't, don't take any delay at all. Run for your life. Run for your life. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or the Sabbath. For there shall be great tribulation. What are tribulation believers to do? Flee. Flee persecution. But what if you can't? What if you can't? What if you're like when the Nazis came in and you can't? What if you're like when a communist came in and you can't? What do you do then? Well, Revelation 12, 11 tells us this. If we can't escape, how are we to respond? They overcame him and the Satan and his schemes and his bloodthirstiness by the blood of the lamb. By the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. That's how you overcome. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Do not fear fear humanity. A must know. You must know this. And I think this is becoming more germane even in our country. Look, we have a lot of freedom still here, folks. But you feel it eking away. You feel the discomfort of it. I know you do. I know you do. But we must be able to stand like they're doing in Iran and Afghanistan right now which was the second largest growing church in the world before it was abandoned, a must know is that God will give you the strength at the time. Matthew ten sixteen says this, Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, be awa- but be aware of men, for they'll deliver you up to councils. Beware of men. Let's beware of the traitors. Beware of those ones that will turn you in. Let's remember this when I get to the end of this talk. Remember those who will turn you in for not following and walking lockstep. They will deliver you up to councils, scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors, kings for my sake. Now I think this is a, a tribulation passage, but I think we can apply it to, to our lives. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. You hear that? Do not worry. Do not worry about what you should say or speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. It will be the spirit of the living God speaking to you the words that He wants you to say during that critical time. God will give you the strength. God will give it to you. Closing thoughts. How to live in an evil world as Christians with a beatitude like Jesus. First of all, you've got to be close to Him. That's a requisite. Close to Him. The world will never embrace your beatitudes. Remember that. They are not a God thing. And as our world changes, it has become decidedly more post-Christian in America. We're very much past the Christian phase here. We're post-Christian. It'll be more uncomfortable the compromised won't feel the pressure. The compromised church won't feel the pressure. Those who have given in to the strong delusion, you remember that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 in our Revelation study? The strong delusion is this, that they believe the Antichrist is the true Christ. And they will believe in the strong, those who buy into that world system, that global government, that one world system, they won't be uncomfortable. kind of go along with the changes. Hey, this is for humanity. Yes. Standing for what you believe is becoming more and more uncomfortable. And I want to tell you something. I have a picture here of a tree standing on a rock. Watch this. A tree on the rock. And the way I'm picturing this is the rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. This tree is you alone. Okay, alone. And this is the rock, the Lord Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something. How stable this tree is when it's alone, when it's built upon the rock. It is stand strong on the rock. It's not your strength. It's the strength because you're rooted in the rock. That is going to be essential for you. To be rooted in the rock. Jesus said this in Matthew ten 16, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst the wolves. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The wolves want to gobble you up. Survival principle is this. Stay close to the herd. Don't get isolated from the herd. More and more people are trying to live as isolated Christians. It says in Proverbs, The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Don't live an isolated life. If you can't fit into a, the body wherever you are, whether it's here, find another body that you can fit into that is teaching the Word of God, actually teaching the Bible and what it says. Find that place. It'll be life-saving for you. It doesn't have to be here, but it has to be someplace that isn't teaching what the majority of this country's teaching. It has to be something different. Stay close because there's a danger Guess who wants to gobble you up? Well, this guy wants to gobble you up right here. This little wolf wants to gobble up this little sheep. And if he wanders over here, he's going to be dinner. Now, notice the face of this guy. Isn't that just a pleasant looking dude? Yeah, that's how I picture Satan. Just nasty. Survival principle. Secondly, stay close to the herd, but stay close to your shepherd. Stay close to the shepherd. I love this. This is is just a picture of the shepherd. I, I like to just think of this as Jesus, and the sheep is so protected here. And these wolves can't do a thing. Nothing. Look at You stay close to your shepherd. You stay in the herd, and you can be safe in this culture as it changes. You wander off. You're liable to get gobbled up. Living in an evil world as a Christian will require you to stay close to your shepherd. No wandering. No freelancing. I've been close to Jesus long enough. I think I need to wander. No, do not wander off. This thing's in it to the death, okay? There's no wandering until we die. No doing your own thing. When persecution comes, the question is how will I respond? I'm not a heroic guy. I am not the guy that's going to be in the plane as it's going, they want to crash into some World Trade Center or something that's going to run up to the front of the plane and say, okay, I'm going to be the hero. I'd like to say that would be me. I don't know that would be me. If something happens and you find out it's me, it's not me. It is not me. I would be saying, hey, hey, Mike, why don't you run up to the front there, man? You're a big guy. Go get him, Mike. Something like that. I mean, it'd be, it'd be something other than me. Allow Corey Ten Boom to help us, how she, reso- how she survived Ravensbrook. Some of you don't know Corey Ten Boom. I bet that most of you do. Her story is an amazing one of courage. Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian watchmaker. Do you know that she was the first licensed watchmaker in the Netherlands in 1922? She and her father Casper, her, brother, her sister Betsy, the rest of the family members, they helped res- rescue the Jewish people within Harlem, their town. Escape the Nazis. The Ten Booms made a decision. They made a defined decision as a family to see what was going on in their culture. They didn't do this. I'm not here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not seeing. I'm not hearing. I'm not speaking. No, they did not do that. I wish I put, a, put the three monkeys up there. No. No, they saw what was going on. They made a judgment according to the word of God. They knew the word. They knew that it was wrong to take these Jews. Even though the Nazis had an indoctrination center, uh, indoctrination system to try to dehumanize them, to treat them as less than human. These are animals. No, they knew the word of God and they were the chosen people. And so they decided to make a, an action and they got involved and it got involved. And this is a picture of Corey and Betsy. At this age, these people are involved. Next picture. This is where they live. This is the, the shop that they worked in. And then the next picture is Corey at an elderly age. And in her bedroom was the hiding place where six people could fit. Let me continue the story. The ten booms lived out the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful. They were showing mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers who stand against evil. And blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. The ten booms stood up. When the Nazi tyranny began to mount, the Holland resistance discovered their their actions. And they convinced the ten booms to put this hiding place In the house. And it was in Corey's bedroom like I said. And then something amazing happened. On February the 28th 1944. Now this is from the 30's. To 1944. Which is almost to the end of the war. They hid Jews. They helped Jews to escape. But then something happened. That is very common. A Dutch informant. A neighbor. Named Jan Vogel told the Nazis about the ten booms. Told them. Isn't that something common to humans? I'm going to tell on you. I'm going to tell the government on you. Because their indoctrination had convinced this woman that the Jews were evil, needed to die, and these ten booms are trying to hide these people, and they're evil too. You could see how this can spread. They made a decision to see, judge, and act Father was imprisoned, and he died weeks later. Corey and Betsy were sent to Ravensbrook, and in Ravensbrook, Betsy died. And just before she died, she said these words to Corey: "There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still." You know where she got that from? Psalm one thirty nine sixteen. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. That's our God. All the way through Ravensbrook. All the way in a prison. Betsy dies. Twelve days later, Corey is set free because of an administrative error. And the rest of the women her age were gassed 12 days later, just as she escapes. An amazing, amazing story. Corrie died in 1981 at age 91, a life, a full life lived for Christ. As a young girl, she asked this question to her father. She saw the Nazis coming in the early 30s. She saw what was happening around her. And she asked her father, it says, what are we going to do, Daddy? I don't know if I can stand to be martyred. And her father comforted her. And I think these comforting words came from that father in Matthew 10:16. The spirit will give you the words at the time, Corey. The spirit will give you the strength at the time, Corey. It goes like this. Daddy, she said, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be martyred for Jesus. And her father, you know the story, most of you. Tell me, her father wisely responded. When you take a train trip from Harlem to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Three weeks before? No, daddy, you give me the t- Money for the ticket just before the time. That is right, he replied. And that is what God's strength will be right at the time. Our wise father in heaven knows when you are going to need things too, Corey. Our father knows. Today, you do not need the strength to stand. Today, I don't need the strength to rush the cabin. That will be supernatural like it was with her. I can't see myself doing anything heroic like that. But God can use anybody at any time with his strength to be a hero to stand. He can do that. But as soon as you are called upon for the honor of facing death for Jesus, he will supply the strength you need just in time. And might I say, just as the disciples, just as Polycarp when he was burned at the stake, just as John Huss when he was burned at the stake. Just as the early believers in the church in Rome when they lit up the, the way, the highways with, with crosses and people dying for their faith. Or when they were put into the Roman circus, dying for their faith. God gave them the strength at the time. He gives you the strength at the time. How to live in an evil world as Christians with a B attitude like Jesus? Look, see... What's going on around you. Judge according to what is written in the word of God. Not your feelings, but what is written in the word of God. And allow that to dictate your actions. You may have to take an action that will be uncomfortable for you. But folks, we're living in an uncomfortable time. And I want to suggest to you, it's going to get more uncomfortable for believers. Stick together. Encourage one another together. Don't become isolated. Stay close to the shepherd. And then God will give you the strength at the time to stand. And I want you to look at this picture. Look at the picture for the next few minutes. Stand strong. Stand on the rock. Look at this picture. Remember this Matthew 10 20. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. It won't be you, it won't be you doing the impossible. It will be the spirit of your Father who is in you. Psalm 18, 1-3, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my strength in whom I take refuge. He is the one I trust. He is my shield, the horn of salvation. He is my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. You can stand with the rod of iron spirit up your spine, no matter what comes. Folks, there is no rock. There is no God like our God. No other name worthy of all our praise. The rock of salvation that cannot be moved. He's proven himself to be faithful and true. Oh, there is no rock. There is no God like ours. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the rock of ages that is the rock that we base our lives upon. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us the strength to stand when we don't have any strength to stand. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that will allow us to do the impossible at the times that are most improbable for people to do the impossible. You are the one that strengthens us, Lord. It is you that allows us to be courageous. It is you that allow us to stand up and represent you. May each person here accomplish that by being close to the Savior right now. May we dwell in you, Lord Jesus. May we not wander off or be drawn by the, by the trinkets of the world. But, oh, may we stay close to our Master And may we bond together as one another, as a body of Christ, encouraging one another even more as we see the day approaching. Thank you that you are in our midst today. Thank you that you are in our hearts. And thank you that you are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.